Three, two, one, and we are off. I imagine that many of you are as disgusted as myself and Ron Swanson with the activities, let's just say, of Jimmy Savile in episode three of The Reckoning. Absolutely disgusting yeah. what he did to that little boy. Scout, cub, kid, the girl in the hospital. It really makes you want to just like, you wish you could have been there and physically yeah. intervened, let's just say. Yeah. Um, huge thank you for Ron for joining us this evening and all of Ron's links will be in the description box. Check out his channel. Ron has been going after these monsters for many, many years. And yeah. if you're not familiar, I mean, if, if you're an American, you've not VPNed the... Um, yeah, totally. If you've not used Atlas VPN, yeah. the storyline is this. A TV miniseries drama about the disgraced late TV personality Jimmy Savile. BBC One is telling the story of his rise to fame and the beep scandal that emerged after his death. This miniseries aims to respectfully give a voice to Savile's 500 plus. 500 yeah. plus. That's something we've Victims. Yeah. While also helping us understand why a man like Jimmy Savile seemed to remain immune for so long to proper scrutiny in criminal investigation. So in response video one, we had Dr. Shaham Das. In response video two, we had Mr. Derek Atwood, my father, who was actually in episode two. Now we've got Ron, and tomorrow we've got Dr. Das back. So Ron, I mean, I know you've watched episode three, but we've not got your thoughts on all three of them yet. So what, what's your initial reaction on what you've seen so far? Okay, well, the, first of all, we need to look at it in two different ways. We need to look at the, the storytelling and uh, the overall shock factor of, of the reality of the situation. So from a TV you know, production point of view, amazing. I mean, I think they, they, they nailed it. But for me, it was the way that they're showing the aftermath of abuse as opposed to focusing on the abuse. And th there's key moments throughout it. Obviously, the young uh, girl who took her own life, the way that that scene was portrayed. And in the episode we're discussing, uh, I believe the little girl is called Sam and uh, the boy was Kevin or Kenny. I think Kenny or Kevin, I can't remember. And showing the aftermath and then showing the who they are, the real survivor. Um, for me, I don't know if you've ever seen Band of Brothers when that came out. They'd done a similar thing where you had these voices, you know, narrating parts of the story. And then, you know, 30 odd hours later, you find out these are survivors from the war and all the rest. And they did, have, did the same thing with Savile. And that we found out at the end of episode one, right? And it left, I mean, it really hit you hard. It really hit you hard. So I think what we have to keep in mind is this is, this should have been a 200 part series where they included everyone's story. Okay, let's, I mean, that's what, I mean, if, if I was a survivor, that's what I would have been wanting the BBC to do. Of course, we cannot do that. So the way it was focused, I believe, there's two ways of looking at this. I think it was very misleading as to how ma how massive the, the, the case was, okay? And I almost felt like the BBC was very subtly telling us all that people knew, okay? And, you know, maybe we should be thinking about why they didn't speak up, as opposed to it really being about taking accountability for Savile. Um, and 
when you start applying some crazy theories to Savile, it starts to make sense. And it's almost comforting when you start going, oh, you know, he was uh, a fixer. He was a, 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 an agent for the government or something like this, because you can understand then how such a normal individual can wean his way into the royals, to the to parliament, all these things. But he was literally an evil genius. That's what it comes down to. A stupid man couldn't have pulled out pulled off what Savile did. And I was blown away by the series. It was heartbreaking. Um, but like I say, the two points I feel it left was a slightly underwhelming feeling of the scope of Savile's reach. But I guess we were left to draw our own conclusions from the Savile's travel series um, because I imagine 99% of what was his horrors was done throughout that period, I would imagine. Um, I'm not a Savile expert, but that series, and we were, we were, the episode three was the Thatcher era and the Jim will fix it era. And if the Jim will fix it badge isn't now a symbol, okay, of why we can never keep our mouth shut, why we can never turn our eye on this, why accountability is so important, why, why in, in London, if you're part of a gang and you see your friend use a pointy object on someone, you can go to jail for that crime, okay? It's, it's associ gang association laws or something like that. I'm paraphrasing, please don't quote me. But why is this not the same thing for when it comes into SA and serious cases like this? Because there's no way in hell that you... It, it's like saying the official statement for the two buildings that fell down is the official statement. It's madness. Also, I just want to point out, everything's went a bit quiet with brand. We might want to talk about that next week as to why everything has just went, just nothing. Very interesting. But what, what was your feeling? I've watched the whole season, and I've watched a few episodes a couple of times. And I'll be honest, when you watch it a second time, the, the horror and the shock of the parts where you, you know they're coming and things like that, it, it affects you less, and you, you start really understanding how... How this guy was beyond so many people in deviousness, uh, in manipulation. I mean, it went, it goes almost into the realms of, you know, Jedi mind trick is another one that that's a comforting feeling. If he was a, you know, had the Jedi mind trick, that kind of explains it all. Sadly, comfort is, is something I don't think we're going to find in this, uh, in this, in this tale, Sean. So where, where do you sit with episode three? Well, you've raised so many points, sir, Ron. He, no, he, did, he did do the Jedi mind tricks on people. He was like, this never happened. Mm -hmm. This never happened. And the way he's gesticulating when he had that woman in yeah. his house, it was he was right? definitely trying to... Trying okay. to I'm sorry, the ADHD's winning this evening, all right? So that woman, okay, on two occasions, Sean, we have got seen scenes where he is essaying an individual whilst recording them. There was the paralyzed girl in the wheelchair. Don't know if that's happened yet. I can't remember what episode, what episode it's in. And this poor optician, right? Because that's what she is, right? She was an optician. Um, do you think we're seeing whispers of trophies like the Moors murders? Well, that's another angle on it, isn't it, as well? Because we discussed this evening with Matthew Steeples. He was on a huge thank you to Matthew for coming on. Yeah. that the link between Peter Sutcliffe and Savile, because S Savile was interviewed about one of the murders 
that were ascribed to Sutcliffe. And why? Sutcliffe, do, you know, do you know why? Do you know why that happened? People reported Savile to the police as a suspect. Okay. Do you know, I think it's really interesting that whilst the Ripper was active, one of the bodies was almost placed directly out Savile's house. There's a theory that it was in homage to Savile, some it, kind oh. of offering to him, and the way they became best buddies in Broadmoor, extremely suspicious. It's, it's beyond, they, they didn't become best buddies in Broadmoor. They were best mm -hmm. buddies long before Broadmoor. Uh, yeah, sorry, sorry, Hillary. I'm sorry. I'm going to be quiet. Hillary has cracked the whip. Please get your point across, Sean. I'm, I'm pumped up tonight. I do apologize, people. Well, it's like Matthew Steeple said earlier today. This needs to be investigated as to the extent of the relationship before Sutcliffe was locked up. It's something that's not been thoroughly looked at. So that would be fascinating to get to the bottom of whether they were partners in crime. We've put a poll up on the channel tonight as to whether people think that Sutcliffe and Savile were partners in crime before Sutcliffe was arrested, and a hell of a lot of people do. Now, another thing you picked up on, Ron, is the way the BBC are kind of shielding themselves from responsibility. So in episode two, it had the story of Claire McAlpine. So everyone's, the, the names are getting changed of people. Claire McAlpine is the real name of the girl who killed herself, who had the diary. And in our Savile documentary, Untouchable, which we relaunched last Wednesday, and it's already got 200,000 views. So if people haven't seen that, check it out. It's, it's, it's going viral again. In that documentary, we interviewed Kelly Gold, who was Claire McAlpine's friend, top, the, the fellow Top of the Pops dancer. And Kelly Gold said that she'd wow. read the diary. Because what happened was the mum read the diary, and the, it, it didn't just mention Savile. It mentioned Tony Blackburn, the DJ, and it mentioned a huge internationally famous pop star that we think is David Bowie. And what it also said in the diary was that there was an area where the girls were being taken by the BBC staff members, and they were getting them drunk, and they were picking which girls were going to go with who and go where. And, you know, when I saw episode two, it just showed Savile in the corridor with the girl. It did not show any of this other stuff surrounding it that BBC staff members were culpable for. But in episode three today, the woman that was calling out the man who was giving Savile the Jim will fix it show, she yep. did say, what about all the BBC staff members at the bar, the people yes. getting drunk? So it, it, they, they did touch on it in today's episode, but it was, there was a hell of a lot more going on than they, they're portraying with the BBC staff members. I think this is a very comfortable version of events for the BBC because you could watch that. For example, let's say right away you were saying to our, the American viewers, let's say somebody does go get a VPN and watch this tonight, and that is their introduction to Savile. Okay, there, there, there's no knowledge beforehand. You could quite easily, right, misinterpret how massive this case was. And is that by design, by fixing a narrative that is now in history? And you know how modern culture goes. You go online, you get to documentary, and now you're an expert on a subject, right? And I think that the BBC have played into that quite well. Maybe they haven't. It was, it was a diff I mean, I wouldn't have liked to have been in charge of putting that together uh, at all because it would have been a difficult thing to produce, and they nailed it. I mean, they really did. That Coogan man, unbelievable. I mean, 
half ten minutes into episode one, you forget it's Coogan, and it's the accent. It's it's the accent. He really, it was scary. I don't know if you had a chance to see re episode two response video one with my dad uh, that we filmed last week, but um, he said when he watched Coogan as Savile on the set, and the guy who was the mur of Scarborough. Yeah. And the scene, because my dad was was watching the scene and was in the scene, behind the scenes, were, yeah. the, they asked the parents permission to take the kid. Yeah. And then he walks off with his arm around the kid and you're thinking, oh, stop, someone, stop yeah. this. And, you know, surely that ended with the Lost Prophets guy. That must have been the end of it after, uh, I can't remember his name. He's not a nice man either. Ian Watkins. Yeah, thank you. Like, surely that is over with now, right? Like, we're not... I mean, I remember when I was a little kid, like, prams and pushchairs left outside shops, and mums would just go in and get their shopping and come back out. It seems crazy now. Like, I, 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 the whole thing is it, it's, it's very eye-opening, like I say, and I, I, I'm going to be intrigued to see um, how many more people speak out about the other victims, because 500 compared to five, and, we're, and another thing you just touched on there was how many other people were involved in this, okay? Um, I just want to point that out because this this led to Rolf Harris's arrest, right? And I can't remember the other guy's name with the silver hair. He was a, I can't remember, he's a journalist. Max Clifford. Clifford, that's him. <clears throat> but what amazes me is how many people will have been, are too high up in the club to take you know, to be charged, to be made, named publicly, all the rest of it. Somewhere there is a big file that is lined with lead to never be opened because the, the, we have we do not know the full extent of this, I'm telling you now. No, what they did was they covered it up for decades and waited until perpetrators such as Savile were deceased and co-conspirators were deceased and then they had Operation U-Tree which was controversial, labelled as a witch hunt. Many of the celebrities initially investigated were eventually exonerated. Police admitted they got something wrong, uh, but the operation did lead to the successful convictions of some high-profile figures, and I would like to tell everybody who they were. So, yeah, Max Clifford was one yep. of them. Uh, he was a publicist, and he was the first person to be convicted under Utrecht. There's a really creepy video where they've got like a news reporter broadcasting live outside the courthouse during Max Clifford's proceedings Max comes up behind the reporter and starts mimicking him from behind and is, have you seen that one Rom? Nah but that's weird because that's a Crowley thing. You like, gotta check that one out. Like you know about Crowley and the how he proved that magic exists with by being filmed mirroring a stranger walking in front of him and then Crowley falling and then the man falling and apparently that was Crowley linking with his mind so mimicking is is interesting that you said that because you know how we talk about the Illuminati and these um uh these tasks designed to embarrass celebrities publicly as part of their initiation well, it got me thinking a lot about the the Moors and them recording and that being the sort of first case of a serial killer who would make recordings, if you will. Mm. And then it got me thinking about Savile 
and the recordings he made. And I mentioned this earlier, but that to me, see if Jimmy Savile was told you need to make recordings to prove this, would, you, would he would be the only one in the world to do it in a way that he would broadcast it? You, that, that is such a Savile response to that sort of initiation. Does that make sense? Not that I'm saying that's what it is. It's just that shocked me. That shocked me a lot. Just responding to Ali Swift. Why was my dad in it? So my dad is a bit part actor and he played a role in episode two of The Reckoning. My mom has also been in The Crown. They, my, both my parents are into oh, these things. Um, but just, just to continue, who got busted in U-Tree. Okay. So Max Clifford was the first arrest on suspicion of offences in 2012 as part of U-Tree. In May 2014, he was found guilty of beep for young women and girls, with one victim being just 15. What a scum. He yeah. was subsequently sentenced to eight years in prison, but died in hospital in 2017 after suffering a heart attack and collapsing in prison. So it is said that Max Clifford had a lot of dirt on people, and he used to trade, uh, power broke, this kind of stuff. The next one, Rolf Harris, a once lovable TV personality, was investigated by U-Tree, in 2014, he was convicted of 12 counts of beep on four female victims aged between 8 and 19. Another monster. He was sentenced to five years. Pathetic. He should have got 50 and nine months in prison, but was released in May 2017 after spending just three years behind bars. Absolutely sickening. In November 2017, he made an appeal to overturn his convictions, which resulted in one conviction being overturned. And then we've got Gary Glitter. He was the first person to be arrested as part of U-Tree, uh, taken into custody in October 2012, charged with eight offences, girls between the ages of 12 and 14. He was found guilty of attempted R-word, four counts of beep, and one of us doing something with a girl under 13. Disgusting. Uh, crimes were committed between 1975 and 1980, he was sentenced to 16 years in prison as a judge was limited to the less severe maximum sentences that were available at the time that the offences were committed. Then we've got Dave Lee Travis. Um, he was a DJ and he was convicted of indecent beep for something that happened in 1995. He got a three-month suspended sentence. He was cleared of 12 allegations, but the jury was unable to reach a verdict on two charges um, during the second trial, he was found not guilty, blah, blah, blah. Chris Denning is the next one, another former Radio 1 DJ. Um, he admitted to a 41 offences. Wow, and he ended up 13 years in prison. So they were the big names, the biggest names yeah. that went down thanks to Operation U-Tree. But a hell of a lot more got away with it. Do you know what's mad, though? When we look at the 50s, 60s, and 70s, there's this weird 20-year window where if you were arrested for those kinds of crimes towards kids, a traffic offence was more serious. Do, do you know what I mean? It's, it's a weird time because if you imagine you, were, you grew up through that time and you had those... I don't, I just for morals, let's just say morals for the sake of me and my brain, right? You had those morals instilled in you that if you did that to a child, you're going to get less than you would for a, a parking ticket, if you see what I mean. Do you not think that we've kind of paved the way a little bit? 
for the mindset for some psychopaths to just feel like they are doing nothing wrong. And I just want to add a second point to that. I thought it was very interesting in episode three that Savile went to confession and he found out that all sins can be exalted. Exalver. Ex all, all sins can be deleted, right? And then he proceeded to essay that young girl in church and then can go up and have his sins removed by the priest, the priest each time. Yeah, there's definitely a flaw in the system of confessionals when it comes to these type of criminals. And touching on your earlier point, Ron, yeah. it's, sick it's sickening that these people who commit these crimes do get slaps on the wrist, where, whereas we see other people with crimes that we consider less serious, this is the worst kind of crimes, they should be getting the maximum sentences. And, yeah. you know, over and over again, we've said on this channel, that's something we're campaigning for, is to put these monsters away. Yeah. Um, but looking at the reviews that are coming in for The Reckoning on IMDb, let's yeah. go over some of these and I'll get your thoughts on them, Rob. Yeah. So we've got Childhoods Destroyed, The Reckoning, uh, Steve Coogan plays Savile, frighteningly real. His recreation is stomach turning and he gets the mannerisms perfectly. Yeah. The main point of the drama is to highlight how Savile was able to get away with years of essay under the noses of the establishment because he made friends with establishment figures who covered for him and protected him. That element of the story will never be known. He had friends in high places, Thatcher, Charles, Philip. If they didn't know what he was getting up to, I'd be very surprised. Guilt by association. So do you think, Rom, that Savile was so strategic that he targeted these people on purpose, knowing if he ever went to court, these could be his character witnesses, the Pope, the Prime Minister, oh, Prince Charles. Hell yeah! And do you not think it's a little bit weird, right? And I'm not getting a bit tinfoil hatty, but the Pope and the Catholic Church, right? Half of Thatcher's cabinet, okay? And certain members of the royal family have very iffy pasts with children, shall we say. Now, that's the bigger question. Is it not a bit coincidental that the man who could fix everything, who turned out to be the world's biggest P-word, is surrounded by people who also had P-words in their friend groups. Like, I'm not being funny. We've all had the misfortune of finding out one day that a work colleague has just been arrested for stuff found on his computer. We all have one guy in our life where we've, we have a moment like that, okay? But when all your pals, all your pal, all your pals, I mean, there's an island where a dude got taken out in prison with, that connects one of the brothers of one of Savile's pals. Who's now the king, by the way? I just want to point that out, just in case you missed that one. Uh, that's what I'm saying. It's all a bit... It's all a bit nuts because, you know, if you look at the algorithm, surely he should have been in a car crash or something like that before he died so what kept what that is the big question because usually these people run their course and they're thrown to the wolves okay and arguably john and i have been discussing a theory about savile and the ripper and the moors and a lot of things and 
I, I think you're right. I think he was too well connected, but I think he was too well connected with like-minded monsters. You know, look at the mayor of Scarborough. Look at the big chunky boy that was part of uh, Thatcher's group. I can't remember his name. He was a horrible, horrible man. Um, you'll know him if you've seen him. It's just too much. So there's a guy, uh, Robert Armstrong, the cabinet minister, that denied the the knighthood for Savile in this so many times, okay? That, I thought, was an interesting thing to include, how easily he can veto the words of the prime minister, right? That is exactly how he has been protected. When, a, when the charge sheets, when the accusations, they just get burnt. They just get burnt, mate. It's as simple as that. Cyril Smith, thank you, Amy, and Count Fuckula. Yeah, nice. Uh, thank you. It was Cyril Smith. There's too many. It does. It just. It's. It's too much, Sean. It's too much, and it's not even like it's too much in a. These were normal people who were his milkmen or his neighbours that he went drinking with. We are talking about serious players. Okay, so are we talking about blackmail? Are we talking about? He's the guy that supplies the stuff at the party. Are, I, I mean, are we talking that? Does he bring the best things to the party? Does he, does he have a knack and a flair? Did he send the Ripper out to grab them? Did he just build a wee network of psychos? Did he, did he G-word that rhymes with Froom the Ripper? Because another interesting statement is, Mum, I promise I'll never do these things again. Okay. I wonder if there's data that we could line up when he started going after children. And I wonder if before that, it was just the R word with teenagers and young women. And by his own words, he didn't do it again. But he moved on to something a lot worse. Yeah, so that's... You've raised some good points, interesting points about the Ripper. So we've had, like, big brand new podcasts come out this week several about Savile and the one that went up last night was with John Wedger huge thank you to John oh, nice. yeah and it's it was titled was Jimmy a fixer for the elite <laughs> and in in that, in that in that podcast it's got 40,000 views overnight people are really fascinated by what John had to say John speculated that Savile was fascinated by the Ripper, that the Ripper was a next-level criminal, and the Ripper did things that Savile wanted to do but wouldn't do, but that made Savile enamoured with the Ripper, which is why they became such good pals, um, that relationship extending into Broadmoor. Now, John also speculated about Savile bringing the things to the party for the party people uh, to utilize, let's just say, the human beings, the young human beings, yeah, and compromising those people, which gave him value to intelligence. Yeah. So he was probably working for intelligence. I think, I just want to put this out there as well. I do not think for a second that Savile was the guy pulling kids into a van and taking them to a party. He was definitely the one keeping all the notes, 
getting all of the addresses and names and numbers from parents for, that have come to the shows and all the rest of it, keeping track of it all. And then the Goombas are sent out to, to grab them, right? And do you know what you were saying about lenient sentences, Sean? Do you know the only time we don't see a lenient sentence is when they get the wrong guy? Okay, why is it whenever they get the wrong guy, it's a 30-year sentence? And then they find the guy, and it's a six-year sentence. And again, John, John and I do showcase uh, the evidence for these random outbursts. I will, I will say that. I will say anyone who wants to know more, if you're wanting to listen to somebody who has way more credi credibility than anyone else that you'll see on the internet on the, on most things to do with child safety is john wedger uh he doesn't hold back it's not one to watch quietly whilst the kids are running around or your grand sitting next to you right it's definitely one for headphones or or, or when it's adults only because he spits facts scary facts that almost cost him his life in fact he believes so much in what he does it almost cost him his life on several occasions um so yeah Go and check that out. Steve, I'm not going to read your entire comment that's on the screen. People can see that. But we did a podcast release last week, and it was an interview we did with Boris, who is an expert on Broadmoor and an expert on what Savile did with the deceased. And we also, in that interview, we brought in Christopher Berry D, the biggest true-selling crime author in the world. Damn. And we got the insights. So we've had about four or five... We had Steeples out tonight, and we got Christian Walmer out tomorrow. We did two hours with him on Savile and Kerhome Kids. So there's loads of Savile podcasts out okay. in the last week that people can really get deep dives into the different aspects that are being brought up here in the chat. I've got a Savile and the Dead theory, right? So Savile, we've seen him in the morgue at the end of his career, shall we say. Savile is an interesting kind of P word, predator, not the other word, right? Because there wasn't one demographic. Do you know what I'm saying? It was men, it was women, sorry, it was boys, it was kids, it was young girls, it was old, it was old people, it was the dead. But the dead was what he went after when he couldn't force himself on a woman. Savile was just about his own twisted capabilities. His turn-on was what he was capable of at the time, what he could get away with and do. And for him, the end of the road was the dead that he had unlimited access to. And let's be honest, the impression I got was he was put away to do what he wanted with, with the dead until he died himself and everyone just turned a blind eye. Because who knows? Who knows if it was just a big... Big blackmail, dead man switch scenario. Who knows? But personally, I do not, I don't think it was that. I think he was, it was the goal. I don't think Savile could have ever existed at any other point in history. I think it was a perfect storm being born in the 20s, growing up through a period of time where, you know, men, I mean, it was before the suffragettes he was born. You know what I'm saying? It was a weird freaking time. And when we start, look, I mean, think about, Looking back when you were a kid, how much has changed? But how much you still believe in from when you were a kid? And then apply that to somebody who was born in the 20s who's also a psychopath. There's so much that gives him this um, ability to convince himself that he is void of sin. Because that's one thing I'm telling you now. 
That man did not die thinking that he had done a single thing wrong. The biggest fear to him was not being knighted and losing everything. That was his only worry. As it showed today. So Alex is asking, are there any people still associated with the BBC that were complicit in Savile's crimes? Can they be made accountable after all this time? Question. So Operation Utree tried to get the co-conspirators and other people who allegations came forward against. So now that Operation Utree has done its thing, I don't think there's going to be any more kind of going after Savile co-conspirators from here. I think they, they, they've got away with it. We've had our pound of flesh. This is how it works in this country, okay? The people want blood, okay? We see it all the time when cases get mishandled, okay? And we've seen it multiple times in cases where it's a race issue or a culture issue in this country. Even when it comes to child safety, the police handle things differently. And this is 100% the end of the story for them. They have given us our pound of flesh. We've got our convictions. We've got our little deep. We've got our little TV show that we can all talk about. Oh, I remember watching Jimmy Savile. Oh, you remember it was it was awful. That four episodes is the story that will be remembered forever. It's up to us to fully put out the truth because I'm blown away that this we didn't get an announcement for a Gary Glitter and a Rolf Harris series coming after this because there's a lot more. It's a lot more. It just, it just, so, just because Savile's dead, right, that is why we are not getting a Rolf Harris or a Gary Glitter one of these. That is it done now. The book is being closed, and that is them served the nation as far as the truth and the story. It's sad. It doesn't take away from how amazing the production was. I'll point that out. But it's very, very sad because, you know, 10 years from now, what are people going to do? Be watching a 10-year-old podcast with Sean and John or just taking the BBC's world, word for it? I mean, the sad fact is, hopefully not. Hopefully not. I mean, I'll be honest with you, but we just have to wait and see how the, the future generations educate themselves. So, Ron... There's a book called In Plain Sight written by Dan Davies and he's portrayed in the drama. And I like those parts because he calls, tries to call Savile to account. And in today's episode, he mentioned, you know, about his mum and Savile staying with her after she was dead, how strange it was and what he meant by promising that he wasn't going to do that anymore. And he'd recorded Savile saying that and Savile denied it and said that the machine had malfunctioned. What, what do you think of those parts where Dan Davies is sat there facing Savile trying to get the truth out of him? Well, that is the classic depiction of the narcissist. I mean, that is... when I mean, it's one thing when you're telling a victim, this didn't happen, what you think just happened didn't happen. But when it's a freaking dictaphone with it recorded, it's a little harder to kind of argue. But to Savile, what he says is his reality, you know? And it's wild. And I'll tell you something else. The journalist, the way the journalist was depicted on moments where you could see him holding his tongue, right? And in tonight's episode, where where uh, I do believe um, Jimmy Savile politely told him to f off, you could see when he leaned in and he was like, you know, you can't keep, you know, you're not going to be able to hide forever. There was a moment when you seen uh, Coogan. I mean, his hands were shaking, everything, and it was such a clever moment because I don't think 
knowingly Savile ever dropped his guard once in his life. But I think once he got to that age and he was at a point where he really felt he'd, I mean, look at the necklaces he was wearing. I mean, the symbols on those necklaces, the ones with the sword, when he was sitting by the fire, that go and look all those things up, people. But I think that was a moment for him where, you know, you know the sense where you feel like you're, if your career's dying, but then all of a sudden there's this little comeback moment or whatever, and you get this big flame revitalized in you. I think that was the moment we were seeing there. That was the final moment of clout, as we would call it in the, in, in the modern era, being pushed out by Savile and he pushing away the author. Or was it Savile sniffing the fact that he was getting too close to the, to the truth? What do you think? So... One of the viewers sent me still photos from, uh, I think it was episode three um, or four, where they're in the, an office at the BBC. But there's pyramids. They've got oh, pyramids. I got yeah. sent photos. A friend of mine, honestly, she went bananas in my DM. She's like, there's, there's pyramids. There's, there's pyramids everywhere. Aha. Uh -huh. What does that mean? What does that mean? Do you know what that means to me? Do you not think that if you, Sean, were making a movie or something, I would just be throwing pyramids in just for bands, right? I'm at the stage now where I'd just be like, oh, every, every desk needs a pyramid because that's that's some traction on Twitter. Do you see what I mean? So in this day and age, we can't rule out the fact that the people writing this are from our generation and era and would know how to market things like that. I know that sounds a bit lame, but you have to consider that because hell yeah, I'd be throwing in all the things that are going to get Twitter traction. Do you know what I mean? I know that's a very disappointing answer. Illuminati, yes, I believe the symbols, the symbols. But I do believe in the symbols too. But I think uh, we need to look at it from a, a logical perspective too. So there's 32 reviews come on IMDb so far. It's got seven rating out of 10. I'll go over to a, another one of the reviews. I watched this to understand why Savile did what he did and to understand how he got away with it for almost six decades. To be clear, I never really understood what he did and so it was an education. Personally for me, it gave a better understanding of what he was like and he is a vile monster. Well See, that's said. interesting because I think that's really important because... The, you know you know, you know know yourself, we are different off camera than we are on camera. Everyone is. But I think having that little insight into uh, what he was like with people and having the, the peek behind the curtain, because we've only ever seen the, the, the podcast version of Savile on TV, and that was an insight. So I think the fact that she picked up on his mannerisms and what he was like, uh, I, I agree with that. It was, it was awesome. So Angela Thompson is suggesting I make a drama called Meet the Atwoods. Well, Angela, you're about to meet Jen's birth video. It's going to be coming out within a week. It's 20 minutes long. And yeah. good grief, if you want some Atwood family drama, it does not get more intense than that. If you guys haven't subscribed to the Atwood family channel, check it out. Yeah, it was um, a beautiful thing, but intense yeah. as hell. Honestly, I spent like an hour the first the first edit of that when I was editing it, a good hour of it, just crying my eyes out. It was just amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. It really, really was. And you, and I tell you something else. I know this is totally off topic, but man, you you just the second that little boy breathed breathed his first breath, you were just in love with him. Oh, and you yeah. can just hear it. You can hear the dad tone 
the instant <laughs> and it was just it was a beautiful thing to watch so, sadly we're on edit 57 58 will be the one i get right and it will be back soon um continuing this review then yep. after watching it it made me hate him Savile was vile, disgusting, disrespectful, and he should have been stopped immediately when he was first investigated in 1958. <laughs> Due to no one doing anything for years and subsequent decades afterwards, he caused so much pain and suffering due to what he inflicted on his victims. He thought he was doing no wrong and was a little man with big ego as well as a liar. Shame on him. He should have been sent to prison and served a whole life sentence with no parole. Steve Coogan was absolutely outstanding in playing Savile, and it was an incredible performance. The acting yeah. and performance throughout this miniseries was exceptional, and for that reason, I scored it 10 out of 10. Yeah, I mean, I'll, uh, if we just want to take away the, the subject matter, one of the best productions since Band of Brothers. I would have quite happily done a 24 episode of that. Uh, it was phenomenal. Coogan was phenomenal. It was amazing. Even the woman who played Thatcher... Right, who looked like she was wearing prosthetics, right? Was amazing. She was am can we just take a minute to just appreciate the Thatcher lady actor? Because the little mannerisms and the little moments, it was it was it was great. It really was. The Savile voice as well. I I thought have they like somehow used AI to take uh, his voice? I'll but be honest, you, you could you could argue that the whole series could have been AI. Like just Coogan just you know, Gollum style green morph suit over the top of him because it was incredible. It was incredible. Now, again, I'm not giving praise to Jimmy Savile before anyone starts that. It's just the production because you, if, if it had been shit, right? If it had been shit and wasn't hailed as one of the best things of the last four or five years they've produced, they wouldn't have done the victims justice. And I'll be honest with you, because if it was shit, we wouldn't be talking about the story. We'd be talking about how shit it was. Do you see what I'm saying? All right. Next review on IMDb. Stunning. It's hard to find the words to describe how brave the survivors of this monster are. Yeah. And also hard to describe how brave Steve Coogan was to take this on, but take it on, he did. Yeah. I'm slightly uneasy about this drama coming from the very corporation who enabled him and seeing the depth of suspicion about him behind closed doors makes it even more unpalatable to think he was allowed to get away with it for so long. But that aside, the dramatization is a hard but necessary watch. The interspersed real footage keeps the chills going and I found it hard to breathe sometimes watching these horrors unfold. My heart goes out to all of his victims, alive or dead, and to victims the world over who have are suffering from monsters like him. Great cast all round, but Steve Coogan deserves huge acclaim for this. So, Ron, so far then, what, what, what moment has given you the biggest chill? Oh, the first episode one with the first attack with those two girls, right, where his son comes in and leads one girl to the bedroom in that weird flat that's all painted black. Like, I'm not being, jo I'm not joking, right? The way that they done that moment, right? Because we all knew it was coming, but we didn't know when it was coming, but we knew at some point they were going to have to depict essay. And they went, like, full Salem's lot with just cutting away as soon as the bad stuff was going to happen. But for me, from a production level, it's how you cut away, right? And it's the, it's 
you know, in the movies, they might cut away, but you'll hear stuff. In this, the soundtrack, the score, and the cinematography it is just unsettlingly good, right? It really is. So that, that set the tone for me, that first attack. Then, of course, you start realizing we're going to get really hardcore into the aftermath of abuse, how it affects them, and how it affects them over the decades, okay? Because the two girls came out, they were like, oh, no, we can't tell anybody, they run off, all the rest of it. And I think we as modern men and women would be shocked at the statistics of women pre-1950s and 60s. I think it was like... Seven out of ten women would experience some form of SA before the age of 18, whether it was flashing or people. I mean, even, I remember my mum telling me stories about her walking the dogs and seeing a guy and then him getting ahead of her and then him lying in naked in a bush as she walked past. Do, do you know what I mean? And she just rid it off and just got on with her day. But, I mean, that's, that's mad. That's a mad statistic. Do, do you know what I mean? So I think... We have to take into account the interesting social factor of the mindsets of the times when we watch these episodes, because we get to episode three and we're finally at the mindset when the little ice cream shop guy slaps the boy on the bum and he's up at Savile's house saying, oh, I only touched his bum and he told his mum who told the police and now they're investigating it. So you've seen the cutoff point happen live in the series because it had taken from the 20s up until that point, which I believe was the 90s or the, the end of the 80s, before the police would take you seriously. Just try and factor that in, please. When this guy has been doing this since the 40s, I mean, he was born in 1928, I believe, on, on Halloween. If that's not suspicious, <laughs> I don't know what is. I just want to point that. I bet he was born on Halloween on a ceremonial slab as the flipping gates of hell opened and his mother made her offering. I'm just saying. Viewers, just... if you've if you've watched any of these episodes, please put in the chat what parts gave you the most chills. Yeah. And for me today, it was the part where the little boy scout was getting led down the corridor and then at the end of that incident, he goes home and his mum's all excited for him and he's got his little badge on, his necklace, and his mum says to him, you know, how did it go? Did you have a good time kind of thing? And he just turns away from her and you just see the tears running down his face. Yeah. That, that, was, that was absolutely horrible. And the other one that got me in the guts was when the older nurse was telling the young victim that these things won't happen anymore because she caught her with some feminine products and she said why are you putting those feminine products in and so she and she said so he can stop it it'll stop him getting inside me and the nurse said well you don't need them anymore because that was your it was her grandfather and he wasn't in the hospital you're ab you're completely safe in here you're completely safe in the hospital and this stuff had already been going on with Savile and it's like the girl wanted to tell the nurse. She was like, "You are, you know, nothing else has happened, has it?" And it's like she, she it's like the words won't come out. It's like the, it's on her lips. She's about to tell her, and then she just backs down and she can't say it. Do you know? Both those points are testament to what I just said about the eras and mindsets. Can you imagine now a little girl in hospital who the whole hospital staff knows she's been abused by her granddad? 
right? Just being told to run along to chapel. What? What? And the, and I tell you what, see, as a man, right, hearing that little girl, they didn't make that up, bro. Like, that's a thing that some people have done. And that, like, just try and fathom that as a man, right? At some point, some poor girl has been so desperate, right, that she's done that. Like, that wasn't clever fucking screenwriting. That is, like, testimony shit. Edelweiss is saying the girl in the wheelchair was the most distressing part for her. The girl in the wheelchair was really distressing. And you know, you know, distressing, but for me, it was interesting because you could, and again, we don't know if this was, again, it's a TV show, right? So we don't know if Savile looked or was acting the way he was when he was doing it, or if the recording was real. But to do that to a girl who's paralyzed from the waist down whilst you're recording her, right? That is next level, okay? Because let's break this down from a psychological panic point of view. All she has to do now is say, why are you touching me? And the whole recording's ruined, right? I mean, let's, let's be honest, right? But she doesn't because of the fear of what's happening. And this, I, I, would, I would happily say, if we have got two examples of that in the series, two examples, Sean, okay? But we've got five examples of survivors overall out of 500. Arguably, then, we're close to 200 that have been abused and recorded. If we were going to go with my dumbass maths, okay? That, to me, is something that is another story altogether. How many BBC broadcastings involved an actual essay attack happening during that recording. So Feminist X has said, the girls in OOHC resonated with me. We had similar schools here in Australia. Those girls were still at higher risk than other kids of SA. Yeah, so I'm based in Surrey and the Duncroft Girls School is down here. And that is where Savile showed up in his Rolls Royce and he was staying overnight and promising the girls that they could go on top of the pops if they perform certain acts on him. Now, is and that we, episode four? Um, I think they showed that earlier on. Because was it the two girls at the... Do you remember in episode four, he goes in his roller, he picks up those two girls, they want cigarettes and alcohol. Right? Oh, I'm getting confused. I've watched so many Savile documentaries yeah, recently. Don't, don't worry about yeah, it. it's not shown it yet, has it? The Duncroft no. uh, girls in... No. in uh, yeah. Episode because four. That was yeah. when he started losing his vigor, right? He couldn't overpower the girls. He couldn't overpower the nurse. And by the end of that episode, he is effectively a creepy dungeon dwelling corpse abuser. And I, I, I really feel like they showed the highs of Savile and the, 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 the horrible capabilities of his abuse. And they really showed the, dis, the subtle descent. Which it really is an homage to just being an old bastard, really. Whether it's you pushing a plow or grabbing a woman, you're going to come to an age where you cannot do that anymore. And what is interesting is he was given that morgue position, okay? Because what was the alternative? Was the alternative him losing it, grabbing someone in the street, not being able to overpower them, going to court and having to answer for his crimes? Because... If he's dead and he brought down all those people, how many would he have brought down if he was alive? 
So Amy said the scene on the promenade with the parents letting their little go off go off with Savile. Yep, that's the one my dad was in. Um, Alex has said when he was sat with Beryl at the beach and he commented on a young. I was Beryl. just going to say that Alex. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember the during you know the part he's talking about where they're they're both old? Her husband's died. Who used to work for Savile. He sits on the bench, and then he makes a passing comment about the young girl, and she's like, "Kids, Jimmy, kids, Jimmy." And she's off ski. Do, do you know what? There's so many moments that are triggering as hell. But I'll be honest with you. You never really get the full horror that went on. So we're all triggered off of a BBC pre-Watershed series. Just try and fathom, right, for a second. The children, the women, the bodies the pensioners, the nurses. Those moments where you're meeting a hero, where you're meeting someone you look up to. And again, we are not talking about the Twitter era. We are talking about news travels slow. It's a big deal if you've got a T-shirt that says, I donated to Savile. That's equivalent of a retweet by Savile in this, this era. It's really, really easy to forget just how many lives were impacted by him. And... I, I, I could not possibly imagine what it would be like to be filled with excitement and like, oh my God, you know, I'm meeting my hero and then for it to turn out this way. Every moment in that where a mother or a father says, run along with Savile, your our stomachs turn. But my God, do we not live in a, in a day and age now where that would not happen? Let's talk about progress a little bit here, people. It's very easy to fearmonger and to, to really put out these horrible moments. But look how far we have come, right, in being vigilant since Savile. Look how far we've come from leaving our kids in prams outside shops in the 80s because we understand what is out there. But you can't let your guard down and you can't assume anyone else is going to look after your kids, your teenagers, your young 20-something kids your nieces and nephews. You have to educate them as, as boring as it is on keeping themselves safe. And I'll be honest with you, there is fantastic apps you can get for phones now where you put in 10 people's phone numbers and if you're uh, feeling like you're, you're in distress, it will literally contact the police. It will text out your location to 10 people and it will keep doing it over and over again until you're found. I always say this to people. My biggest tip for anyone who talks about safety and uh, keeping themselves safe. When you go on a night out, take a fake broken phone with you, okay? Because any kidnapper, robber, or anyone that's wanting to do horrible things to you is going to grab your phone and throw it away, okay? If you can give them a decoy, you literally have one of the most state-of-the-art tracking devices in the world on your person. It sounds very, very stupid, but if you've got a phone tucked away in a back pocket and you hand over your bag, they take your phone, they throw it away, all the rest, and you're bundled in the back of a van or anything's happening, you have serious technology. Know how to utilize that talk technology by using touch identification for controls on your phone. You will be amazed at how you can turn a phone into one of the most uh, sophisticated spy gadgets and tracking gadgets in the world for your safety. Rant I'm over. This. Sorry. I'm going to read this comment from Susan, but your face has gone completely out of focus. I don't know if you can adjust that, Ron. Oh, it's um, maybe so, so Susan has said, 
The moment that gave me chills was when he had the vulnerable girl in his office. The look of evil he gave the girl gave me goosebumps. She was saved that night by the executive coming into the office. Yep, yep. that was the lost ticket girl. I've lost my ticket. That was horrendous. Do you know what, though? That was very subtle by the BBC showcasing people outside rooms, people that knew there was something going on. But again, I mean, a fantastic point. That was a shocking moment. Angela says, I don't think anybody in their right mind could forgive these kind of sins. I don't care whether they're religious or not. Well, this is the beauty of it. You're you're not talking about a human being that has to believe that these sins should be absolved. You're talking about belief in a higher power. And that higher power quite says in, says in black and white, all sins may be absolved as long as you confess your sins. Someone earlier said, you have to mean what you say in confession. It doesn't say that anywhere. Anywhere that you, you have to mean <clears throat> that you uh, repent your sins. And in some cases, you don't even have to repent. It's up to the priestess to absolve you of sin. It's a very interesting, and it, I'm not saying anything about Catholicism. I'm just saying if you Google it, you're going to learn some stuff that might upset you. And it's awfully funny how that religion has that get out clause. I'm just saying. Right, so 7 o'clock tomorrow, we've got two hours with Christian Walmer on Savile and Co-Home Kids. 10 o'clock, we've got final response video to episode 4 with Dr. Shaham Das. Please check out Ron's channel. Link is in the description box below this video. You want to support his important work. Huge thank you for coming on, man. Anything you'd like to say in closing? Yeah, we have got a huge uh, Halloween special coming up with the Vampire <laughs> of Paris. It's a three-episode event that will take place uh, on uh, starting on this channel, going to my channel, and one other channel that's in uh, my little network of uh, awesomeness. And this interview covers a gentleman who done 12 years for murder, who was publicized as the Vampire of Paris, is a known cannibal, has uh, publicized a cannibal cookbook, but is now a world-renowned artist. It's a fascinating journey into some of the darkest parts of the human mind. And my God, will you want to be ready for it on Halloween? So, yeah, that's that. If you want the, the crap scared out of you on Halloween, tune in for that one. Much love and respect wherever you are in the world. Thank you for tuning in this evening. We will see you tomorrow.